0: Volume 32, number 1, from January of 1954, The Voice of the Sign, written by Brother Carl H. Claudie. Let all things be done decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. Masonic magazines, books, and research papers are filled with accounts of the ritual its beginnings, its debts to myth, history, romance, and religions, the necessity of good ritual, well-learned, well-delivered, the importance of ritual as the thread on which Masonic truths are strung as jewels in a necklace. But you will hunt long, hard, and fruitlessly for any major contribution on the subject of why men and Masons have rituals at all what the real purpose of ritual may be, and why Freemasonry must have had a ritual if it was to exist. This short talk attempts to gather together a few thoughts from the small band of writers and students who did not accept ritual as they accept day and night, but sought the reasons which made a ritual for our ceremonies a necessity. Masonic ritual did not come into being, complete and in full, Like Minerva springing full-grown from the head of Jupiter, fully armed for battle. Masonic ritual had a beginning. What was before the beginning? Men who did the best they knew in instructing other men in the simple essentials of the First Freemasonry. They did this in their own words. They told what they had learned. They instructed the newly made fellow of the craft in the rules of the Freemasonry of a day no man may say how early. They taught the apprentice to labor diligently, to give a day's work for a day's wages, to bring no shame to the craft, to be true to holy church. Anyone may read the moral and social principles of early Freemasonry in the Regius poem, and indeed in many other manuscript constitutions. Ceremonies grew naturally. When his seven-year apprenticeship was completed, the new fellow received his working tools from friends or family. Someone would give them to him with a few words of admonition. Gradually, those words became familiar and fixed. Calling the craft together for a meeting to discuss some problem, one leader would do it one way, another in a different way. But as the slow years passed, One way was found better than another, and the same words were repeated and again repeated. What was true in a day hundreds of years ago is true today. Our ritual changed and grew as it was added to and expanded by the Clares and the Dunkerleys and the Olivers and the Prestons. It has become the thread of continuity, the bond by which we feel a kinship with our Masonic ancestors. To do and to say, as all good brothers and fellows have done who have gone this way before, is to express a brotherhood of the mind. Men pray in a thousand ways. Doubtless any sincere petition to deity is the equal of any other. But the prayer of prayers, known to every man, woman, and child in the world who speaks English, is the Lord's Prayer, a universal ritual the utterance of which is not only a petition to the Most High, but a bond between multiplied millions of worshippers, not the less strong that they may never meet. Our Masonic ritual contains our history. That much of that history is hidden from all save the student is beside the point. The history is there. Words have their histories. Words are windows into the past, through which the student of vision may look and see old ways of thought, old inventions, discoveries, adventures, romances, ideas long forgotten but once important. Herewith a paragraph from an unknown author writing in The Builder a quarter of a century ago. What a library might be thus written on the language of our ritual. To the etymological historian, All of its words would be so many thousands of windows, many of them of richest stained glass, opening back on such panoramas of the past as would amaze us. The philosophies of the eighteenth century would be there the many colored guild life of the Middle Ages, theorems of the Arabic mathematicians, reveries of the Kabbalists, guesses of the occultists, thoughts of the Greek philosophers, visions of Hebrew prophets and the twilight mysteries of Egypt. End of quote. Mankind has always been ritual-minded. It is as much a part of human nature to need ritual in life as it is a part of nature to provide a natural ritual. H.L. Haywood has phrased this so well that quotation is better than a rewriting of his words. Quote, Inspiration to ritualism is everywhere. Night and day everlastingly succeed each other. The four seasons continue their endless circumambulations, like the candidate in the lodge room. The stars move about in their fixed orbits. The tides rise and fall. Moons wax and wane. Seed time and harvest come and go. Growth is followed by decay. Birth is succeeded by death, and even the comet, once deemed the most capricious of all major objects of creation, has been found to return upon its own path forever. Perhaps man's earliest ritual was circumambulation, moving around a stone altar, on which was the holy fire, emblematic of the sun. In the same direction the sun seemed to move, from east to west, by way of the south. All civilized life in all countries has been lived by rituals. Births, christening, church confirmation. Prayer, the bended knee. Weddings are ceremonies. Burial is ritualistic. We shake hands on meeting and parting, remains of a ritual that showed no concealed weapons in the palm. We lift the hat to the equal the superior, the weaker. Once we lifted the helmet to show we feared no blow from a friend. Regardless of the inclemencies of the weather, we greet a friend with good morning, a wish that his day be good. Armies march and drill. Men love to watch parades and to parade. To be part of a band, a choir, a troop, a team, doubles the joy of whatever activity is its mainspring. Ritual in the lodge is the magic which makes Masonic work common to all. And this is vital. It is the antidote for the boredom which hearing the same old words in the same old way, night after night, month after month, year after year, oppresses so many. Masonic ritual, if necessarily repetitious is also a great binder together. The ritual of a degree is worked, that is, spoken and or acted, by many. The officers speak, some brethren conduct, those upon the sidelines follow and take part, even if a small part, at appropriate times. All brethren participate, for instance, when the candidate first sees Masonic light. Few there are who do not receive some pleasure for thus being a necessary part of an important ceremony. The psychologist uses the term group consciousness as meaning that spirit which animates many as opposed to that which motivates the individual. The mob spirit, which can produce panic, is a species of group consciousness. At the other extreme is the thought of many engaged in a good act of importance and necessity, which demands many minds and united attention. Ritual is either complete or it disintegrates. It is not possible successfully to continue the performance of ceremonies in which from A to B is a fixed ritual, from B to C, any words which occur to those performing the ceremony, from C to the close, another fixed form of word or act. A Masonic ritual could not continue to hold men together if a lodge could be opened with any words which a master found desirable to utter, then continue with a fixed form of ceremony, building up to an obligation an officer might fancy appropriate, and ending with a ritualistic closing. The several parts would not fit. They would not be a whole, but an aggregation of unrelated parts. To be successful... Ritual must be complete. Without completion, rituals deteriorate and finally disintegrate. Ritual is a continuity not only for the Lodge, the Grand Lodge, and the nation, which may have several, but for a fraternity of which universality is a vital part. Rituals differ, of course—climate, times, education, language, memories and necessities have made divergences in rituals inevitable. But there are certain parts of Masonic ritual which do not vary between places, climes, and grand lodges. There is divergence in the ritual of the Lord's Prayer. Some ask forgiveness of trespasses, some of debts. Some speak of the power and the glory forever, others forever and ever but in its essentials, the Lord's Prayer is universal ritual. The So Mote It Be, which closes Freemasonry's oldest document, the Regius poem from 1390, is universal. The answer to the first question a master asks of his senior warden in opening the lodge is universal. The great lights are universal. Even though the volume of the sacred law may be the Old Testament in one lodge, the Bible in another, and the Quran in a third. The legend of the master's degree, the search, and the fundamental landmarks are universal. This universality makes a mighty appeal to men. An appeal so great that they will endure repetitious ritual, which has long ago lost its novelty, for the sake of being part of something vast, something old, something which fits with the psalmist who sings, He that keepeth thee will not slumber. The ritual is the core of the fraternity. Obviously, every teaching, every precept, every principle of Freemasonry can be communicated from man to man without the use of a single ritualistic phrase. To communicate any idea in a dozen ways presents little difficulty. Twice two is four. Two times two makes four. The multiplication of two by itself produces four. All say the same thing in different words. But using the same words presents a something to tie to. The visitor in a strange town who wishes to spend a fraternal evening goes to the Masonic Lodge, confident of what he'll find therein. If he is a bright Mason and knows his own work, he is sure that he will soon satisfy the examining committee. When he enters the lodge, he knows what to expect, what he will hear, what is expected of him, what to do, and what, if anything, to say. It is to a home away from home, to use this well-worn phrase, that he goes. Without ritual, visiting would be impossible, and if possible, unhappy and undesired. Men do not go to strange meetings of strangers to take part in strange ceremonies. They go where they know they'll find familiar words and acts, as they, in turn, have provided familiarity and hominess for the visitors to their own lodges. The ritual is to many all the translation of Masonic symbols which they know. Only symbolists understand the boundless wealth to be found in symbols. To many... A symbol is just one thing standing for one other thing. G for geometry, trowel for brotherly love, apron for innocence. For these, and they are in the majority, ritual is the title to this monograph The Voice of the Sign. In lodge, constant attendants learn ritual even if they never repeat it. They hear the ritualistic explanation of the familiar Masonic symbols. Knowing no others, these become mental fixtures. By these, they recognize their fellows. By such phrases do they find familiarity and a welcome in lodges other than their own. By these, indeed, do many who have studied Masonry believe themselves to be well-informed Masons. It's good that they do. For a little wisdom is better than none, and there is such a thing as a little leaven which leavens the whole. But also there is the slightly spoiled egg which will ruin a large omelet. American Freemasonry has a small poisonous growth which is doing its little best to make the omelet uneatable. This is the ritual tinkerer. Usually he is a devoted brother, an ardent Freemason, a good man and true, to whom ritual is the be-all and end-all of Freemasonry. To him, learning ritual and delivering it letter-perfect is the whole end and aim of Masonry. Naturally, then, he wants the ritual perfect, and by means of a committee on work, or a meeting of district lecturers, or some other piece of Grand Lodge machinery, is constantly making the ritual better by ironing out grammatical errors, removing obsolete words, adding this phrase or that paragraph, because it's beautiful. Alas, it is for such as these that the ritual on a cross might pray, Brethren, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Any change in ritual, if the ritual is old, is a change for the worse. Any alteration of the fraternal chain which has given Freemasonry longer life than that of any government, nation, philosophy, or association is a weakening. American Masonic ritual exhibits some astonishing alterations in some places, interpolations which, no matter how beautiful, are not Masonic ritual. Lincoln's Gettysburg Address is in a class by itself. Hamlet's soliloquy is unique in literature. The 23rd Psalm is almost as universal as church ritual as is the Lord's Prayer. But these have no place in Masonic ritual. No more have a hundred other interpolations, changes, alterations, interjections, transformations, reshapings, shufflings, and modulations. Every one of these, alas, is a deterioration of what should be sacred and inviolate, and all in the name of improvement by good, if misled, men who do not understand that to paint the antique varnish, silver plate the pewter, or polish the ancient bronze is sacrilege. Change the voice of the sign often enough, even if the individual change appears innocuous, and in the aggregate of years it will read a new meaning into the symbol and make Freemasonry something which Freemasonry never was. The voice of the sign is the life of Freemasonry. It is we, here and now, who must give it the nourishment of loving recognition. The fact that for Freemasonry to continue to be Freemasonry, it must have its ritual, its old ritual, its only ritual. What the voice of the sign was What it is now, it must ever be. Amen, and so mote it be. This is Brother Michael A. Smith, a voice for Freemasonry. And this has been the Short Talk Bulletin podcast, produced in cooperation with the Masonic Service Association of North America